Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I tweeted something out yesterday. The Tuesday was the day in the MAGAverse when the truly deranged turned on the merely demented. It's it, it's it's hard to put into context uh, what is going on as you have the conspiracy theorists lashing out with just your usual sycophants. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, Bill Barr dropped kind of a bomb, you would think, normally on the Trump uh, Trump attempt to discredit the election. Um, yeah, look, I mean, you know, Trump's uh, efforts to discredit the election were never really that plausible to uh, to begin with, even though he's got millions of people who believe him. Uh, but pretty badly undermined when the attorney general, his own attorney general, his handpicked attorney general, his loyalist, Bill Barr, says he's not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. Oof. Well, um, but fortunately for Donald Trump, uh, this this grievance movement that he's building rests more on this raw belief, this faith, than on things like data, logic, or evidence that would hold up in a court of law. So it was interesting watching how uh, much of the Trump-friendly media didn't really even miss a beat. I mean, yes, the Wall Street Journal has broken with, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, uh, but you know, Lou Dobbs was just, I mean, he was, I, mean, I almost felt bad for Lou Dobbs. You know, Barr's a, a liar or a fool. Uh, Gateway Pundit had this big headline, you know, Attorney General Barr destroys his name for all eternity. His actions today confirm he is just another card-carrying swamp rat. Uh, do you remember uh, superfan Bill Mitchell? He's over on Parler. Is that how you pronounce it? Parler? Parlay? Whatever. Uh, the non-Twitter. Uh, he pivoted quickly, of course. Uh, that's it. Barr is officially a deep uh, a deep state snake and bush plant. Didn't know. Uh, Trump's legal team, uh, Giuliani and Ellis, of course, also lashed out. There hasn't been any semblance of a Department of Justice investigation. But uh, here we are. Uh, we are now six days away from the safe harbor date for the Electoral College. We are less than two weeks away from the actual formal casting of the of the Electoral College votes, which will confirm Joe Biden's win and the attorney general saying that there is no evidence of fraud. And quite frankly, I don't think it's going to make any difference whatsoever uh, to uh, the way J D Donald Trump is going to continue to tweet out the conspiracy theories. He's going to continue to raise money. And you're seeing something rather strange going on here. In my newsletter this morning, I, I quote Tim Alberta as saying, the right's descent into madness is nowhere near complete. Mark my words. This is going to get much, much worse before it gets better. And he's coming specifically about uh, this, this videotape that's circulating about you know conservative Christian radio host, author Eric Metaxas, who used to be considered a serious guy. Uh, is interviewing Donald Trump and says, I'd be happy to die in this fight. This is a fight for everything. God is with us. And, you know, this would be disturbing in and of itself, except he's doing it in the background. There's the My Pillow guy, a cutout of the My Pillow guy squeezing his pillow. People are talking about dying. Mike Flynn, the retired general, is, you know, signed on to a manifesto calling for Trump to declare martial law to immediately declare a limited form of martial law and temporarily suspend the Constitution and civilian control of these federal elections for the sole purpose of having the military oversee a national revote. This isn't crazy or anything, right? It's not crazy. 
So, and, and meanwhile, there's a special election coming up in Georgia. So joining us on the podcast today is our good friend from the National Journal, Josh Kroshauer, who's got a great piece about uh, Trump's suicide squeeze play in Georgia. Josh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Hey, Charlie. Good to be back on the show. I feel like I missed a couple of things that we should talk about, including the Department of Justice investigating cash for pardons. Who knows where that's going? That could be messy, right? You know, I wanted to talk about your your, your first point, which is, you know, we're seeing these increasingly fringy figures from Sidney Powell to Eric Metaxas to Gateway Pundit, you know, tripling down on the crazy. But when you, you know, when you look at the bigger picture of the week, you, you're, you know, and I, and I, and I, I may quibble with Tim, my, my good friend, Tim Alberta, a little bit. You know, I don't know if, if these figures are going to be representing the, the conservative movement, the right in, in a post, you know, once Trump leaves office. You know, I, to me, the bigger picture this week is that Attorney General Bill Barr broke with the president for the first time, in, you know, or at least for the first significant in the first significant way uh, since he's been in office. The Wall Street Journal editorial page yes. slammed the president today with his you know increasingly ridiculous allegations of fraud. National Review wrote a very compelling op-ed attacking Trump and his his loony loony tunes arguments. You know, and, he, and even like Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, who's that been one it. of the more loyal Trump mm-hmm. allies in the governorships uh, for Republicans, wrote a nine-part tweet rebutting Trump's arguments uh, about the election and, 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 and underscoring uh, the legitimacy of Arizona's uh, election count. So, you know, I, I hope we're not talking about Gateway Pundit in January. <laughs> you know, I hope we're not focusing on some of these yeah. ridiculous figures. And I think in a weird way, like the fact that we're seeing a movement where only these fringy figures are the ones that are really drinking the Kool-Aid. You know, I, I think that's a sign that we're moving, you know, the Republican Party is slowly but surely kind of divorcing itself from some of the, the worst excesses of Trumpism. So you're saying that maybe the fringes are going to be pushed back to the fringes where they belong, that they they will, in fact, return to the fever swamps. So, like, my theory of Trump and the Republican Party, which is a theory, but, but it, it kind of is making sense as we've been going through this transition is that we're kind of going backwards in time from 2017 when Trump first took power, first took you know office and he was lying about the inauguration crowds. He, he put Sean Spicer out there. You know, it was, it felt very disruptive and disorienting when he was just saying these crazy things that we've never heard from any, any president in our lifetimes. But, and then he gradually dominated Republicans and, and they ended up, you know, as he got more power, folks like, Jeff Flake, Mark Sanford ended up not being able to, to survive in this in this new Republican Party. I, I think we're kind of in the next six months, we're going to be kind of where we were in the summer of 2016, where there were Republicans, you know, like like Ted Cruz was at the time four years ago, sort of trying to keep a, a, an arm, arm's distance length from Trump, maybe not condemning him outright, but there's going to be sort of a period of time where he's not as relevant and he's not as significant. Okay. As he oh, oh. So I mean, that's my opt. I guess that, that that's a, a an optimistic look. But look, we're we're already seeing signs of Republicans starting to tiptoe away from from the crazy, and I think that's an encouraging moment. Okay, so I really want you to be right about this. Just just I, I want to lay the marker down that I am hoping that Josh Kraschauer has nailed this. But let me just push back on this. Like, let's let's go back in time to, um, you know, 2015, 2016, when there still were Republicans who were willing to call out the crazy. You know what happened? They all caved in. And I'm telling you, 
See, I has this gut sense that if, if Donald Trump does, and we're getting the reports that he's not only not going to show up at the inauguration or invite uh, Joe Biden or even talk to Joe Biden, he, he may even announce that he's running uh, in 2024. If in fact he runs in 2024 and it looks like he's going to get the nomination and get another term in office, all of these folks are going to come back. Ted Cruz, freaking Ted Cruz is tweeting out yesterday that he wants the Supreme Court to take up that crazy uh, lawsuit um, from Pennsylvania, which would effectively disenfranchise 7 million people. So the crazy is still strong out there. And these people will come back to Trump because they've done it before. If they were willing to accept everything in the past, why wouldn't they accept it in the future? So, yeah, I agree with you. All of these are like, you know, the, the shoots of hope, but I've seen them before. And the vast majority of Republicans, though, are still in the fetal crouch. They are still silent. They are still saying nothing. They're still afraid of the tweets. They're still afraid of offending the the, the base. And again, I've lived through this before, and I've seen how the anti-anti-Trumpers were going, this is really, really, really terrible. Guess what? Um, you've already been tested. We know what you're going to do. We know what you're willing to swallow. We know what you're willing to go along with, and you're going to do it again. So here's the big question for, for me, Charlie. Is Trump really going to run in 2024, or is this a bluff for him to raise money mm. and maintain his relevance? And, you know, kind of, he, he needs the attention. He's, he's a needy person. And, you know, I hope I hope the media doesn't give him as much attention in a post-presidential world when it's not warranted. But look, I, I think there's going to be, as we get closer, especially to the midterms in 2022, and I know that, that seems like a long ways away, but mm. I think there are going to be some Republicans that are willing to call the bluff, right? Like if you think he's going to run at age 79 for, for president again, um, then yeah, I think then he is going to be a powerful force in the party and he would be the favorite to win another nomination. But I, I just don't see him sustaining the same type of energy interest. I mean, the guy can't, okay, no, think no, past no. the you know, he, he's, he's a guy who's a day trader. He doesn't think past the, the day that he's watching television. So I'm not sure how he's going to be able to sustain the same degree of loyalty when he's out of office, when we're not talking about elections, but we're talking about more mundane issues of policy. So when you're talking about Republicans tiptoeing away from the president, that's that's true of you know certain people in an elective office. But the problem with with the right and the Republican Party has not been the the elected officials. It's been the the, the base, the grassroots. And they still seem to be behind the, the president. And, and if anything, they seem to be cranking up. So, I mean, I again, I, I, want, I want you to be right about this very, very strongly, Josh, because I see this. I see the same things. And I think, boy, Doug Ducey, the guy's got some guts. You got Raffensperger in 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 Georgia. But I'm looking at the polls and I'm watching social media and I'm watching what's going on with some of the new farther to the right than Fox News media out there. And as you get closer to the realization that Donald Trump is going to be out of the White House, there are people who are still freaking out. Let me, I don't want to talk about Georgia because this is a really interesting story. What's going on in Georgia right now where people are, there's, there's a certain level of hysteria about the fact that, uh, Hey, you know, Donald Trump lost Georgia. It's been certified. The Republican governor has gone along with it. The Republican secretary of state, he said, says he's lost. And there are the dead enders who just won't accept it, even though they should be moving on to the Senate race. Well, you had this remarkable moment. And again, as this rhetoric has, you know, ticked up and people are calling for martial law and people are calling for, you know, various other, you know, dramatic action. 
you have uh, this man, this Gabe Sterling, who is the voting system implementation manager for the Secretary of State's office. He's a conservative Republican, and he's seriously pissed. And he came out and he said, look, somebody's going to get shot. Somebody's going to get killed. It's not right. It's not right. And he specifically calls out the president of the United States um, about for you for 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 rhetoric that is inciting violence. Let's play this. It r- runs a couple of minutes. That's uh, Gabe Sterling from Georgia. It has all gone too far. All of it. Joe DeGeneva today asked for Chris Krebs, a patriot who ran CISA, to be shot. A 20-something tech in Gwinnett County today has death threats and a noose put out saying he should be hung for treason because he was transferring a report on batches from an EMS to a county computer so he could read it. It has to stop. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators, you have not condemned this language or these actions. This has to stop. We need you to step up, and if you're going to take a position of leadership, show some. My boss, Secretary Raffensperger, his address is out there. They have people doing caravans around their house. They've had people come onto their property. Trisha, his wife of 40 years, is getting sexualized threats through her cell phone. It has to stop. This is elections. This is the backbone of democracy. And all of you who have not said a damn word are complicit in this. I can't begin to explain the level of anger I have right now over this. And every American, every Georgian, Republican and Democrat alike should have that same level of anger. Mr. President, it looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating. There's always a possibility. I get it. And you have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to get killed. And it's not right. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty intense. And that comes during a very, very heated race down in Georgia. Look, Donald Trump's not going to change anything, though, is he? I mean, he is going to he's sitting there in the residence and he's still tweeting out the conspiracy theories and he's still giving oxygen to the people out there who are pushing the craziest bat shit, you know, lunacy that you, know, that you can imagine. Right. God bless Gabe Sterling. I mean, he, he is a conservative Republican. He works in the secretary of state's office. He's an example of what we've been seeing these last few weeks where these ordinary Republicans that we've never heard of until, until this month uh, have been doing small deeds making small statements that show moral courage. Uh, This was his Joseph Welch, have you no decency moment speaking out Mm -hmm. against McCarthyism Mm -hmm. in the fifties. And where I am worried, Charlie, I I was, you know, offering my more optimistic political outlook, but where I am worried is that this smaller hardcore Trumpist faction is calling for increasingly deranged ideas. I mean, and, and, and there are some formerly, 
respectable people in, in this bunch. You know, Joe Geneva saying that Chris Krebs should be shot. I mean, it was just despicable the kinds of, uh, you know, rhetoric he was using on, on the radio. Michael Flynn uh, yesterday calling for martial law. This is the Trump's first national security advisor. I mean, this is deranged stuff. And I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm a little more sanguine than you. I don't think this represents a whole lot of the Republican Party, even people who are loyal to Trump. But when even if one person listens to this rhetoric and, and they're crazy and they act on some of this nutty stuff, that is where we, we go off a rail. And, you know, again, Gabe Sterling's with the moral courage to just say enough is enough. Uh, a conservative Republican in the state of Georgia, and you, you frankly have the whole statewide leadership in Georgia, uh, from the lieutenant governor, who's also a rep- conservative Republican, to the secretary of state. These are not, you know, milquetoast moderates. These are Trump-supporting Republicans who have shown quite a bit of courage, and they've been having to deal with this ridiculous harassment because of uh, Trump's uh, minions. And look, you know, the, the scary thing in the, in the social media world today is that you, know, you may only have a, a hundred people that are nuts and are on social media and spouting this crazy stuff, but they can create a lot of damage just with a small number of, of nutsos. So, I mean, I, I think that, mo- I mean, I don't think Sterling's comments are going to change the larger base, Republican base's view over the election. But, you know, I think more moments like that, more moments of, of courage at a time of, of crazy uh, or what's needed for Republicans to get back back to some degree of sanity. Okay, well, let's talk about the the, the crazy down in, in in Georgia. You have a great piece in the in the National Journal today. Trump's suicide squeeze against Senate Republicans by ba- by airing baseless allegations of election fraud. The president is damaging the GOP's ability to win two pivotal runoffs in Georgia. If Trump costs McConnell the Senate majority, it would break the pair's uncomfortable alliance. Okay, a couple of different elements there. So you're pointing out that President Trump. Is holding the Republican hostage, Republican Party hostage on his way out the door because he's insisting that they go along with his narrative about election fraud. And so far, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, Loeffler, the two senators from Georgia, have been lockstep with him. In fact, you know, you were just describing how responsible Republican officials were in Georgia. They've, um, in contrast, they've called for the Secretary of State to to, to resign. So let's talk about this. Uh, how is President Trump holding the Republican Party hostage on his way out the door, and how is it playing in Georgia right now? Well, this is the story of the Trump era. We've we've been talking about this for the last four years. Where to runoffs, by the way, are about turning out the base. They, this mm-hmm. is this is a little different than a regular November election. You've got to get your voters to show up in a, right after New Year's Day to January fifth to to get 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 a win in these two big Senate races. So. Republicans can't live with Trump, but they can't live without him because they need his voters. They need every one of them to show up at the polls and to turn out uh, for, for this off-year election. Um, we've seen this in, you know, in primaries. Anyone who speaks ill of Trump, you know, Trump ends up, ends up sending a tweet and, and enough Republicans end up rebelling from that candidate. And we're seeing the exact same dynamic here, except this the stakes are even higher because McConnell would lose his Senate majority if Republicans don't win at least one of the, the two seats. Um, you know, I also think there's sort of a, a, a different way of looking at it as well, which is if Trump doesn't play ball with the party, which is he, there's been this sort of immoral agreement that, that helps McConnell get conservative judges. He's gotten conservative legislation and he overlooks the worst of Trump's behavior. Um, and, and, and that's not really sustainable after this election. 
if Republicans lose the Senate, if Trump decides not to play ball with the party, if he, he, he hangs on to these grievances and doesn't help Purdue and Leffler win, if McConnell loses the Senate and realizes that Trump is a more destructive force outside of outside of power than a constructive force, you know, there's going to be a, 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 a come to Jesus moment for, you know, for someone like McConnell, who above all is a cold hearted tactician. He, he wants to win. And he, he thinks Trump has been a vehicle to help Republicans win. But if Trump ends up single-handedly costing Republican Senate seats in Georgia, that calculation is going to change uh, after the election. So I, I think Trump does, may not realize it, but he has a lot on the line himself for the future. I mean, if he wants to be a major player within the party, if he wants to, you know, allow Repub- you know allow Republicans that don't love him but but think he gets them votes to bite their tongues, he's going to have to deliver a win for the Republicans in these two big Senate races. So what happens when he goes to Georgia this weekend, right? He's going there this Saturday and he's going to be campaigning in Georgia. This is a state where he's insulted the governor, Brian Kemp, um, said he's hapless, you know, called the secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, an enemy of the people. Um, He's supposed to be campaigning for the Senate candidates, but is he going to be able to restrain himself? And what happens if he goes in there? And he starts attacking other Republicans. What I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that scene would be like. But of course, that's how he launched himself in 2016. I mean, he went around the country, you know, insulting Republican officials, and it, you know, didn't stop him from getting the nomination. Republicans don't know exactly what he's going to say. This rally on Saturday uh, is going to be more like a traditional Trump rally, where he's going to speak about his grievances and, and and probably will attack the Republican governor and probably will attack the Republican Secretary of State. Essentially, Senate Republicans just want him to spend a few minutes saying nice things about Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, so they can cut it in a thirty-second ad and put it on TV. And they think that that if they can accomplish that, game, you know, game over. But um, they're not even sure if that's going to happen. I mean, the, the fact that, as you mentioned, Charlie, Purdue and Leffler have been kind of playing, indulging the president's fantasies and, and sounding, you know, increasingly, you know, <laughs> like they're buying into these conspiracy theories themselves. I mean, that's not, that's not uh, in their interest either. In fact, you know, Biden won the state of Georgia because he flipped suburban voters in Cobb County. He, he flipped the suburban moderates that couldn't stomach Trump, but did vote for Republicans down ballot. And if Trump ends up, you know, continuing to go down this rabbit hole, you know, not only may he struggle to turn out all of his base, but a lot of those swing voters that went towards Joe Biden may end up being so turned off by these two Republican senators that it could cost them the election at the same time. Okay, so but a a realist look at Georgia would 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 note that Republicans have a longstanding uh, structural advantage when it comes to these these runoffs, right? That, that, that a a betting man would be better off putting some money down on the Republicans actually pulling this out despite everything we've been talking about. So what happens to a Republican party that's being held hostage by Trump's election fraud conspiracy theories? Now, what happens if Purdue and Leffler win? If it works, if the crazy works, if calling people like Brad Raffensperger, the enemy of the people, succeeds then doesn't the 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 hostage taking last a lot longer than just the georgia recount i'm just trying to think what no i mean you're right charlie i mean that's right i mean look this has been the story of the last four years i mean i think the story of the last four years continues if trump ends up 
playing enough team ball in, in, in his campaign appearances, you know, says enough nice things about the senators, this uncomfortable, awkward alliance between indulging Trump's crazy while also trying to get what you want out of him politically. And so I do think, yeah, I do think there would be some degree of, you know, I mean, look, look, the Republican Party right now, as I wrote, is an alliance of the, the establishment, the traditional Republicans. That's about 50 percent of the party and the Kraken. It's about 50-50, and you can't, you know, a party divided, as McConnell, you know, understands politically, you know, they can't win elections if you're if you're half the party. So they've been, you know, McConnell's been indulging these 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 conspiracy theories and and the, and the crazy, but he he knows that if he challenge if he gave a statement attacking Trump, they would not just lose these Georgia elections, but the party would be be divided so, in two. So, so, so in other words, there's political cynicism that's been going on throughout the whole Trump era, and it, and it would continue, I would think, in, 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 you know, in the post-election. Well, continuing the post-election means that for the next four years, the Republican Party is married to the Kraken, that the Republican Party is married to Donald Trump's lies about the election, that they're going to have to, at some point, because let's face it, you know, Donald Trump 2024, that the centerpiece of that at every rally, every chant is going to be that he was stabbed in the back, that the election was stolen, that there was massive fraud. It didn't happen. There's no evidence that it happened. They weren't able to flip a single vote in a single courtroom anywhere in America, but it will be central to Trumpian trutherism. And the Republican Party is going to be held hostage by that for another four years. Right. Well, I mean, there's a big difference, though, and we've talked about this before. Trump won't be in power. So he'll have power of Republican Party voters, and that will affect the Republican Party side of the electorate. But not being in charge of the military, not being able to dominate the news as he has when, he, when, you, when you're president, yeah, that, and that does change yeah. things a little bit. And I would also add that, you know, look, I, I do think these Georgia, his, his, his ability to kind of be disciplined just enough to help Republicans win in Georgia is going to be a key indicator. But he's been also threatening... Um, primaries to Republicans that aren't loyal to him mm-hmm. in 2022 from Mike DeWine in Ohio, Doug Ducey, Governor Kemp in Georgia. I mean, the reality is for Republicans that a lot of these Trumpy figures, the ones you talked about at the show's open, there's no way that they can win a general election in a swing state, whether it's Georgia, Ohio, Arizona. So, I mean, there's going to be another phase of just a real political reality setting in. It's one thing when you replace one conservative Republican in Georgia with Brian Kemp, who was also a statewide official. It's another thing if you want someone like Kelly Ward, who's a you know a Trumpy conspiracy theorist who ran the state party in Arizona, state Republican Party in Arizona. If she ends up being the Republican nominee for the Senate or for the governorship, I mean they're not going to win those races, and Republicans are going to have their survival instincts a little more attuned to, to to reality because of that. So you know I, I think this whole four-year period has been this sort of cynical bargain that that Republicans have made with Trump. Trump held the upper hand when he was president because he he does have a lot of power. I'm not sure if he'll hold quite as much in, you know, have quite as much of a whip hand out of power. We'll we'll see how he plays his hand in the next couple of years, but he's not someone who's shown this great strategic vision to maintain relevance. Um, I mean, he'll have his base, he'll have his supporters, but I wonder how long lasting he can hold the the public attention out of office. This is one of the most interesting questions in politics right now. You know, will he, you know, retain that position, you know, as the center of the public imagination and coverage 
Um, or is he going to fade because of that? Because the reality is, is that you're not as powerful being an ex defeated president as you are being the president of the United States. I mean, there's something your, your rallies do not begin with Air Force One landing. You don't have that ability to do that. You don't have the whip hand. So the question is, does he begin to fade? Does he by by clinging so tightly to the fringes, does he does he start drifting off to the fringes? Uh, you know, does it with his obsession with OAN and Newsmax, does, is, is that where he's going to end up? And so will he be on the edges of even the, the right? You, you saw the Axios newsletter this morning, right? OK, so let me just redo this. There's a couple things here. Reality check. Several allies who talk regularly to Trump told me they believe he will announce for 2024, maybe on Inauguration Day, but ultimately, like you said, not make the run because of what one Republican close to Trump called, quote, hurdles he has never, uh, never before experienced, unquote. I think he will have more trouble than he can begin to imagine, the Republican said. No one is going to give him a free pass in the primary. Okay, my first reaction, that was bullshit. Of course, a lot of people are going to give him a free pass in the primary because they've gotten so used to being afraid of these guys. Who's going to beat him? Who's going to run against him? But you know, you know what? You know what a smart Republican would do who knows that they need to win over Trump's voters, but isn't you know doesn't want to run run afoul of, of, of Trump. You know, you basically say, look, I, I, you're not you run. You're not criticizing Trump. You'll say like you'll get out if Trump gets in. But you call his bluff. You're, I mean, ultimately, it's like a game of poker where, you know, Trump's trying to bluff his way to holding control of the Republican Party for four years. And if Republicans truly don't think that's in their self-interest as a party, you know, they're going to be people that are enterprising politicians that may not be like your anti-Trump Republicans, but that will say, hey, I'm, I'm running and I, I agree with a lot of what Trump says. And I, you know, I support X, Y and Z. But, you know, and, and if Trump runs, you know, look, I'll, I'll, I'll get out of the race. But I think they're going to be, as we get closer to, you know, the midterms and, and past the midterms, they're going to be Republicans that don't expect Trump to run. They're going to call his bluff and politics is going to go on. Who would do it, though? You have to you have to come up with a name. Rubio. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think someone like that would probably fit the people who are like the ones you probably have pointed out in your newsletter as being pretty spineless, but haven't, you know, tackled Trump head on. Well, There's that's a lot of people the, in that, in that I mean, category. I, I, I just can't see a Ted, Ted, somehow, somehow the guys who lost in 2026 have been badly damaged. I mean, there's something, there's something, something happened to Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, and Marco Rubio. Something broke inside of them. I just can't imagine them ever standing up because they know what it's like in MAGA world. The moment you defy the orange god king, you, you know, you're cast into outer darkness. You know, you're excommunicated. You're a rat. So I, I can't imagine them doing it, you know. Well, you, you, know what, you know what this reminds me? I mean, and it's not an exact comparison, but I mentioned this in my column, so I, I might as well, well talk about it on the pod. You know, Steve Bannon looked like this big, you know, in, in, in 2017, every New York Times and Washington Post story quoted Steve Bannon as this genius, you know, the guy who engineered Trump's victory. And every story was quoted, you know, quoting him on record or on background uh, in terms of what, what he was going to do in the Trump presidency. And he threatened every single Republican senator with primary defeat in, in 2018, in the run up to the 2018 midterms. And McConnell's operation said this is unacceptable. And they basically dropped oppo on his head so so hard that he was out of the white house within a couple months i'm not saying that that's going to the bannon is trump and, and clearly they what they did was they kind of disconnected bannon and his kind of free, freelancing with trump himself 
But I do think that if Trump continues to kind of go off the deep end with some of these conspiracy theories and marginalizes himself and doesn't have the staff around him to give him good advice, you know, I think what, what's, what the Republican Party politics are going to look like in 2021 and 2022 is going to be different from what it looks like right now in December of 2020. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's possible, um, although it is amazing to me that we continue to have millions of Americans that are, are just believing a lot of this stuff, that will, that will go to their graves believing that this was stolen despite the fact that there's any evidence. And, and, and I'm sorry to use words like stupid, um, you know, uh, because that's, that's elitist, I suppose. But, you know, some of the analysis that you're seeing now of, of, of the election, well, there's just no way that he could have overperformed in these metropolitan areas, or why was there this dump at this time of night? He's just based on fundamental misunderstandings of the way the process worked. Um, it worked exactly as it was supposed to, to, to work. Um, you know, there there are the folks who are just cynically exploiting all of that. But then there are millions of Americans who who do believe that that Joe Biden is not illegitimate, and that's going to be a problem. I mean, this is going to be so. I mean, you know, I, I talked about this with Amanda Carpenter yesterday. You know, we used to have the worst case scenario was that uh, Donald Trump would refuse to show up at the inaugural. Um, now we've gone one step beyond that. Not only will he not show up at the inaugural, he might have stage a counter event where he announces for 2024. So the question is, if you're a Republican, do you dare show up at Joe Biden's inauguration? See, this is where I think the, the held hostage thing doesn't end with Georgia. You know, and, and they keep thinking there's an off ramp. I mean, I think they keep thinking, oh, you know what? He's going to get over it and this will happen and this will happen and everything will be OK, except on January 20th. Where do you go? You're all dressed up. You got two dueling bar mitzvahs. Which one do you go to? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I actually think that well, we'll, well, the big test is going to be: Does Mike Pence show up at the inauguration? We know we know Trump isn't going to show up at, at Biden's inauguration. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what the vice president does because he has a potential political future of his own that may may run against what what Trump wants to do in in four years. So I think Pence is going to be one guy to watch as far as the inauguration goes. Ooh, that's really interesting. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I I, I, I do I, I do ah. think there will be quite a few Republicans. I, I do think that that might be the first time. I mean, well, so I don't want to make any predictions because it's hard. I don't have any, I don't have any inside information, but I I do think that it's it's very possible Pence shows up even while Trump is doing a, a counter, counter protest. Because ultimately... You know, if Pence wants to run for office, I mean, Trump would totally foreclose any chance of Pence. I mean, he's the one guy who can't really go against his boss. But by by kind of subtly sending a different message um, than than the president, it might it might be a signal for the party. That, this that is how this is how a good leader. This is how screwed we are that that normal things like, for example, Secretary of State certifying an election result now becomes a big deal. You know, will the board of certification vote to to advance this? We, these are things we never even thought about before. Would the vice president show up to the inauguration? And 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 it's I don't know. I mean, I, you know, given, given, given the last four years, I have no optimism about anybody behaving in any way um, respectful of, of, of norms, because you know that if Pence shows up, I mean, he's he's dead to Trump world. Well, I do think it's interesting that uh, very few senators, Republican senators, even though they haven't publicly said, I congratulate President-elect Joe Biden, I don't think, I mean, has it been, I mean, maybe, maybe Ron Johnson, but there have been very few, maybe Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, but it's the, the distinct minority of Republican senators that have actually said, I don't think Biden won the election, right? I mean, they've, they've right. just shut up. They've basically gone radio silent. 
Um, so I think that's, a, I mean, and, and even McConnell uh, at his, at his uh, pen and pad yesterday said, you know, the new administration and, and is already gaming out how to deal with the stimulus, how to deal with COVID. Um, so I, I do think reality is going to, going to set in. I do think a lot of Republican senators and lawmakers are going to be there. I, I, I would distinguish like the Matt Gates. Jim right. Jordan faction um, from from some of the the more traditional Republicans, but yeah, I mean I, that's why I think Mike Pence is going to be such a fascinating figure because he does kind of he, his whole political career, is, you know, his, his national profile has been advanced by Trump, uh, so he, he he's the guy who can't really afford to to stab the guy in the back because um, you know he he has no political future himself if he does that. Mm. So um, I, I, I want to reiterate that people are going to be surprised by what's going to happen on January 6th. They shouldn't. There will be one of these last minute uh, spasms. The the Matt Gates of the world will try to disrupt that that normally just ritualistic uh, opening and reading of the uh, the Electoral College votes. Under the system, all you need is one member of the House and one member of the Senate to force a two hour debate um, on whether to accept a slate of electors. Now, Lots of members of the House, I can imagine doing that. Not sure which senator would do it. Who would be crazy enough? Rand Paul. Um, but, I, you know, and again, th- that's another one of those dead enders. Don't show any respect. What norms, you know, what norms have not yet been broken? Make a list of those norms because they're all going to be shattered on the way out the door. But he, here, here's where I guess I differ a little bit, because once once Biden is president, like that reality is obvious. Like you can't you, you have to like live in a bunker and, and live in your own earth too to deny to deny that, you know, is that, you know, what I mean? Yeah, they can oppose his nominees, oppose his legislation, but that's boring stuff. That's not that's not stuff that gets you excited online to oppose a stimulus bill or oppose covid relief. And there's going to be a lot of legislating in, in, in the next year. And, and there's not going to be a whole lot of culture war fighting at least at the at the top levels so i mean is, is that attention span going to be able to be to be no. served in, in a in, when, when biden actually is president and you actually have debate over more substantive boring policy related issues then of course you'll have the trial of donald trump which will be like the oj trial of uh <laughs> no i see i'm hoping you're right and that i'm wrong about this I, it's, it's just that you know the experience of the last four years has not made me optimistic okay so let's talk a little bit about i know you've written about this um i'm still trying to get my head around um what happened at the uh you know down down ballot races including what looks like to be an absolutely razor thin House majority for the Democrats, which nobody saw coming. I mean, nobody on either party. It looks right now that the Democrats, like the Democrats are going to have something like, what, 222 seats and 218 is a majority. So four vote majority. Is that what it looks like to you right now? Yeah, I mean, think I think a five vote majority. I mean, they've won every single Republicans won every single toss up race, Amazing. which is, usually that would indicate a red wave. Usually yeah. that would be a huge night when someone when one party rather sweeps all the close races. Partly that was the case because the the pollsters and, and, and frankly, people like me, you know, were relying on polls that suggested that the environment was much more favorable to Joe Biden than it was. He still had a good night. It just wasn't the type of landslide that a lot of the polls were suggesting. So a lot of the, the forecasters thought that, you know, more Republican leaning seats would be endangered. They weren't. Um, but look, I think and this is this is actually the House is actually interesting because it actually presents the other side of the Republican Party that isn't the the crack inside of the party. They of all the new members they elected of all those those toss up races, 
every single candidate they elected was a, a, a woman, someone who was a non-white or a military veteran. Mm. They actually ran, you know, moderate, pragmatic candidates in suburban districts who ended up winning seats and were as about as far away from some of the Trump conspiracy theorizing that you can possibly imagine. And in a way that, you know, you're going to have about 15 to 20 new members on the Republican side that we're not talking about a lot now, but are actually going to help balance the party in a, in a more, or I should say, in a less Trumpian direction. Uh, folks like Michelle Steele in Orange County and uh, Young Kim, the current first Korean American woman to be elected to Congress. Um, I mean, there are a lot of names. We talk about the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts, but there are actually a couple dozen Republicans that are much less Trumpian um, than you would expect. And they're from these competitive districts that they ended up winning. So I think that's another signal that, look, it's easy to look, look, you know, it's easy to look backwards. And, and Trump elected a whole bunch of Trumpy members in the last couple elections. But I think Republicans already in 2020 down ballot realize that this can't go on forever. And some of these newly elected members all offer a different picture for the future of the party. No, this, that, that, that is a great point. Um, it, it's also worth remembering, you know, that this is still, these are still the lines that were driven, you know, were, were, uh, drawn for, uh, I'm sorry, 10 years ago. Um, and that give Republicans a certain edge and that re- Republicans, you know, were able to keep their majority in, you know, in 2016. Well, they, well, they were able to keep their majority in 2012 when Barack Obama won rather handily won re-election. And yet you still had a Republican House. Um, 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but the Republicans held the House. They lost the House in 2018. Um, but to a certain extent, this seems like a, a re- reversion to the norm of what we've had for the last decade, as opposed to some cataclysmic failure of some kind. I'm sure there were failures, you know, in, in terms of strategy and a lot of different things. But it is worth remembering, you know, that that you know, in 2012, that Barack Obama was reelected. He beat Mitt Romney by roughly four points, and yet Republicans still were able to maintain their majority in Congress with these lines. And so, you know, well, yeah, that, and, you know. and what, what was the message that voters sent with with Republicans gaining seats in the House, maybe holding the Senate, and uh, you know, and then, then losing the presidency with Trump? There were a lot of voters out there that would, you know, they delivered a pretty big defeat to the president, but also generally like conservative policy. So, I mean, th- th- this is a mandate for, for centrism. It's a mandate against Trump, but, but for, you know, pragmatic governance. And I and you have a divided, you know, a divided Congress and, 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 a, and a Biden presidency. So, you know, this is in a way, it's sort of a, 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 a kind of a, a case for the bulwark. It's a case right. for, for more more sane politics. And look, I, I, I do think that the parties themselves, the, the, the loudest voices in the parties are going more and more, getting more and more extreme. But in a weird way, they're kind of checking each other out. And the, the newly elected, you know, more moderate members, more pragmatic members, at least, are, are actually going to be power brokers, the Susan Collinses of the world, the Joe Manchins of the world in a divided Senate. So, you know, I think there's a lot of reason to be at least hopeful that we have we've hit rock bottom. And then there's a lot of green shoots from the so, election results that I think are encouraging. So there are possibilities of having center cent, centrist coalitions, bipartisan coalitions in both the House and the Senate driving legislation if the leaders allow that to happen. Correct. So the question is, does Nancy Pelosi want to try to govern with a five vote majority or is she going to be open to having this, you know, center right, center left, you know, 
moderate uh, coalition working together, correct? Same thing with, obviously, in the Senate, even more closely divided. Yeah, I mean, th- that's where it gets interesting. Does McConnell, like, is it in his political interest to play ball with with, with, with moderate uh, Democrats? Uh, you know, you already saw this week this, this uh, I guess, a gang of 10 um, Republican and Democratic senators from Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins on the Democratic side, John Hickenlooper and uh, Joe Manchin and a few others. I mean, they're trying to be that that power center in the Senate. We'll see if it works. I think that one of the big questions is, you know, with Pelosi having such a, a narrow majority, do does the squad to her left, do they muddle things up and make make things totally, right. totally chaotic? Or does Pelosi find sort of a, does, is there a, a sort of a moderate coalition in the House that Pelosi turns to? Because I don't think Pelosi, uh, I don't think the Democratic Party has the Hastert rule that you need a majority of your party to pass legislation. So, you know, theoretically, she could rely mm. on the, the more important members, the the majority makers to just, she could just totally, you know, look askance at, at AOC and actually cut deals with, with moderates in both parties and get a well, majority. She would have to do it. it. Let's say that the squad decided that it wanted to uh, flex its muscles and we're not going to vote for anything. Um, so then you're going to have to have these votes in the Senate. I, you know, one of the questions I have in my mind, you, you know, we were talking about this stimulus package where you had the, the centrist working together. It's kind of a, a test case on this. Does Mitch McConnell have the whip hand majority that he used to have? You know, he will only have what one a one vote majority if you have Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins and and Mitt Romney say, hey, we're not going along with your obstructionism on some of these confirmations. Um, That's going to limit his options, won't it? Somewhat. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think so. I mean, there are Republicans that think that McConnell rules the roost, and even even if someone like Susan Collins wants to cut a deal with with Democrats, that he won't allow a bill to come to the floor or right. he'll pull things up. I tend to think that look, he he's got a tough map in twenty twenty two, so he's got to win some some blue states, some Biden states to hold. If he keeps the majority, he's gonna have to hold it in two years. So he can't just be a mindless obstructionist because there, there's going to be a political penalty to pay. And, and look, Susan Collins, won't, she, she feels like she's the most powerful uh, member of the Senate because if, if Democrats, uh, you know, sorry, if Republicans have a narrow, narrow majority, she's the one who can literally decide whether a bill passes or fails in, in, in the Biden administration. And she, uh, I think, is relishing that role. And there are going to be other Republicans that are willing to work with her to kind of be that that middle, to be that center of gravity, which is going to have new life, I think, in this in this Congress. Hmm. So does Neera Tandon get confirmed? If Republicans hold the Senate, no, I, I don't think she, she she's going to be the sacrificial lamb. Um, and uh, look, I, I know Neera, I like her. Um, she's a partisan. I mean, she's a warrior for the, for the mm-hmm. causes and the people she believes in, Hillary Clinton, first and foremost. Um, but that can hurt when you're a partisan and, and, and you know, you're running OMB. That, that, that can be a, that can be a, a downside. Uh, and, and, and look, they're always presidents always face a defeat. I mean, even Trump, uh, who's the late puzzler? He didn't get his labor secretary through Congress. Yeah. Um, there's always one cabinet member or one uh, appointee that just doesn't get through. I, I think most of Biden's appointments are going to be going to be fine and they'll pass easily in this or they'll pass without any problem in the Senate. Um, Tandon is the one, especially if Republicans keep control. I, I have a hard time seeing how she gets the votes. Yeah, I, I think that sounds right. Uh, Josh Kraschauer from the National Journal, thank you so much for, for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Uh, your piece is, uh, is is really a must read um, in the National Journal. It is uh, Trump's suicide squeeze against Senate Republicans. 
talking about the future of the Republican Party being held hostage by Donald Trump. Um, you're more optimistic than I am. I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping I am wrong. Josh, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Charlie. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.